Listener Production. Gidget Foundation Australia acknowledges the continuing connection to culture, lands, waterways and communities of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And we pay our respects to traditional owners of country, both past and present, throughout Australia. This podcast contains conversations about suicide, loss, depression and anxiety that some listeners may find distressing. If you or anyone you know needs help, don't hesitate. Contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or emergency services on triple zero. Craig and I had just got married. We expected to have quite a long period of not being pregnant, not having to plan for that. And when it happened so quickly, it was a major shock. When the shock wore off and the reality of being pregnant set in, Beck enlisted the help of a psychologist to plan and prepare for the family she was in the midst of creating. As most parents soon find out, though, things don't always go to plan. I started getting to, into a really dark place. I started feeling quite suicidal. I thought that Clark was better off without me because I was putting up all these walls It was all my fault. Alongside her husband, who was also diagnosed with perinatal depression and anxiety, Beck started making new plans, plans that gave herself space to grow and learn as a new parent, despite whatever challenges the future might hold. You've still got that scarring from what you've been through. It'll always be a part of you. Parenting is hard. It is hard work. You will have ups and downs, but there's nothing that you can't get through. Pregnancy and the first year of parenthood is a time of major change in a person's life that without the right support can lead to or prolong perinatal depression and anxiety. For too long, these parents have suffered in silence, but that doesn't have to be where the story ends. Hi, I'm Davina Smith, and in this podcast, we tell the silent truth of PNDA loudly, and we meet some of the one in five mothers and one in 10 fathers who've lived through it, ready to start talking. Hi, I'm Beck, and I'm one of the one in five mothers who have experienced perinatal depression and anxiety. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the social and emotional adjustments many parents face as they start a new family with psychologist Katie Peterson from Gidget Foundation Australia joining us a bit later to discuss the tools parents can use to manage PNDA as the family grows. Beck, welcome. Thank you. We heard Craig's story, but this is your story. So we met Craig in an earlier episode. Was it love at first sight? It wasn't instant, (laughs) but I remember when I met him, I thought, Oh my God, he is so tall. (laughs) And I went to the male lady and that was sitting on the same floor as him. And we used to have little catch-ups every day. And I said to her, oh, do you know Craig Anderson? And she said, oh yeah, he sits on this floor. And I said, he's really tall. And I think he's pretty good looking. (laughs) She was like, do you think so? I'm not sure. (laughs) And Craig was walking past in that exact moment. Oh, my goodness. So, of course, his head just grew (laughs) so big. We 
met officially at the Christmas party. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, and he tells everyone that my dad was giving him death stares the whole your time. your dad was in HR, was yes, that right? Yes, he was. <laughs> so it was a big no-no, an office romance, yes. particularly with a daughter. <laughs> and, yeah, and my dad would not hurt a fly. He is the sweetest man. And he, to be honest, was a bit like, well, I haven't really heard anything bad about Craig, so <laughs> what could go wrong? He's got a good record. Yeah. <laughs> good company record. Yeah. You'd face some pretty serious health conditions, though, at the time, though, hadn't you? Yeah. So I had a few issues with headaches and I had only really been at the job for about six months doing admin and I went into the doctors with a lump on my head. When the report came back, it just said that it was a cyst. So I went to a plastic surgeon to get it removed and he actually said, this is not a cyst, you need to go and see a neurosurgeon straight away. The next day I got the appointment with the neurosurgeon and the day after that I had surgery. Wow. Yeah, so they removed just under a quarter of my skull and replaced it with a plate. That's something very, very big for someone young and carefree to be dealing with. Yeah, I was only 19 and it was quite strange the way that I dealt with it. I was very much like, no one talks about it. It's going to be fine. I guess my recovery wasn't amazing. I ended up getting nerve damage from the surgery and... The nerve pain that I had was practically an excruciating headache 24-7. Debilitating. Yep. So I went on nerve repairers, which didn't end up helping. I then had a an occipital stimulator inserted from the pain clinic, which worked for four years. And then I guess my body got used to the pulses that it was sending and stopped working. So I ended up going through a three-week intensive pain management program. And at that time, you, you, you're you dating Craig and getting to know each other. I mean, It's yeah. a big backdrop for, for a new romance, isn't it? Well, this actually all happened, I think, within six months of meeting him. My parents were definitely like, this guy is the real deal. If someone can stick around for all the nitty-gritty, disgusting things that were going on. I think I was in hospital, it felt like every fortnight, just in so much pain. I've struggled with mental health as well since I was about 15. It was a really, really difficult time. How did the pain that you'd been through and the treatment then affect your plans to have kids? That's actually one of the reasons why I did go through the pain management program. The medication that I was on wasn't exactly safe for me to fall pregnant. So I think I went off the medication a year before our wedding. We ended up falling pregnant with Clark, I think, two months after we started trying. We Mm. were extremely lucky. I guess we had been told so many times that it was going to be a struggle for to fall pregnant because of the medication I'd been on for so long. How did you feel when you finally fell pregnant? I was not ready. (laughs) No one ever (laughs) is. That's the problem. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I think Craig and I had just got married, just been on our honeymoon. We expected to have 
quite a long period of not being pregnant, not having to plan for that. And when it happened so quickly, it was a major shock. But in the end, I was actually quite excited. There was no issues with that at all. I just had a terrible pregnancy as well. So you were really sick, were you? Yeah, there was a lot of vomit. (laughs) (laughs) And Craig still loved you. Yes. He He got used to it. (laughs) (laughs) What was the birth like then? Um, I was actually induced at 39 weeks and it went so smoothly. I got induced, I had the epidural and I think I was pushing for like half an hour wow. and then, yeah, he he arrived. <laughs> Super mum. <laughs> and you had this beautiful little boy, Clark. Yeah, we did. I don't really think that it was love at first sight. It was, I have a whole human to take yeah. care of. How <laughs> does this even happen? <laughs> and he was actually taken to special care at the hospital that we were at just because he had a little bit of fluid on his lungs, that happened quite quickly and Craig went with him. So that was a little bit difficult, him being kind of rushed off and not really knowing what what was wrong. The first two weeks, I felt like I had no idea what was going on and no one had prepared me. You kind of go with what you think is the right thing to do and I thought I was doing the wrong thing every single day. Why was that? I felt like it was my fault that Clark couldn't breastfeed. I was constantly questioning how much he was getting and then how much weight he was putting on. Every baby in the first few weeks is also struggling with what's nighttime, what's daytime. And he was what felt like was always crying. So I really struggled with that part of things and I didn't ask for any help either. Had your mental health been on your radar in those early days of of Clark after he was born? So I got put in contact with Gidget before he was born. So I was seeing my psychologist then and we kind of worked through what could potentially happen. After he was born, I had all these plans in place, which did not happen (laughs) uh, (laughs) at all. And after the first month or six weeks, I recognised that it wasn't normal for me to be feeling the way that I was feeling. And I'm really good at recognising when I am spiralling. But it was really, really hard to ask for help. I felt like Craig was struggling as well, or I felt that Craig had gone back to work so he didn't need the stress of everything that I was going through. You know, he needed the sleep so I didn't want to wake him up. In hindsight, if I had just asked him for more help, he would be completely willing to give it to me. Because you're also working a more than full-time job keeping a little human being alive. Yeah, and everyone says sleep when the baby's sleeping, but... Easier said than done, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, Clark didn't sleep longer than 30 minutes in a day. And I just didn't want to leave the house, which was a big issue for me as well. I want to go back to when you'd mentioned about you you had these plans in place because you'd seen a Gidget psychologist. I relate a lot to what you said because I had suffered anxiety prior to having my first child. Same thing, put everything in place. 
But suddenly when you've got this human to look after, it can be hard to prioritise yourself. Yes. And I was very lucky that my psychologist was quite on top of everything. So she messaged me and she did say, let's meet. I can come to your house or we could go out for a walk together. I still put it off for a really long time because I just didn't want any help. And like you said, you put it on yourself. What was the stumbling block in terms of getting out the front door and getting out of the house? Breastfeeding and also having to get him ready. It felt like such a chore to make sure I had the nappy bag packed. And he was born in July and it was so cold. I felt like I didn't have enough clothes on him. I felt like I had too many clothes on him. With breastfeeding, I ended up using a nipple shield. And I thought, it takes me so long at home to even get that on, to then get him latched. It was just too hard. And I never wanted someone to see me doing it. And I have no issues with people breastfeeding in public. I wish that I could have, but it was too much for me. He wasn't putting on as much weight as they would like. So I started pumping, I think it was 45 minutes after I fed him. Mm. So it was like I just had no time to even get outside and and do anything. So what changed? At what point did you realise, I need help? I started getting into a really dark place. I started feeling quite suicidal. I thought that Clark was better off without me because I was putting up all these walls. He wasn't even getting fresh air and it was all my fault. And I felt like he wasn't thriving because of that. Which isn't true, is it? No, no, definitely not. He was great. He was hitting the milestones that he should have, but I just spiralled out of control. So what was your first step? Was it Craig saying something to you? I think I said something to him. I said, the way I'm feeling is not right. And I think he caught me at about 3am sitting there, just staring blankly out the window and just tears running down my face. And I despised breastfeeding at that point. And he said, okay, well, we're going on formula. And I thought, oh, everyone says that breastfeeding is best for the baby. So we went to the community health nurses and we had asked them about how we go about putting Clark on formula and they really didn't give us an answer. So one of the girls in my mother's group was on formula. I asked her what she did and then Googled what to do and We ended up weaning him off the breast, which actually was extremely difficult in the end. (laughs) After not cooperating. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And also a tipping point for me was we went to Fiji for my best friend's wedding. I was maid of honour and it was so hot. (laughs) All of a sudden, all Clark wanted to do was breastfeeding. We had the formula and the bottles and we were trying so hard right before the reception we were supposed to give him a bottle and he would not take it (laughs) all the guests are coming down I'm trying to get my dress off to give him a feed 
it was just too much. Hell, it sounds like it I'm laughing because we've all been there where you just <laughs> yeah. you have a timeline and you want things to work yeah. and mum doesn't want to play along with it. Yep, and I already hated breastfeeding in public and I knew all these people and here I am freaking out in public trying to get my boob out <laughs> and, oh, it was just... It was and also terrible. Smile and be a good bridesmaid and do the right thing. Yeah. Keep everybody happy and <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. You had a psychologist already in, in play there. So how did it come about then for you to start getting better? What what sort of process did you go through? So Chris and I decided to put me in contact with a psychiatrist. We talked about going down the medication route, which I had been on pre-Clark, but I went off hoping that I wouldn't have to go back on them, but Craig and I had had that discussion. So I went and saw the psychiatrist. I got put on medication, which I was never against. I was always for medication because it always worked for me. Part of the healing process. Exactly. And I started seeing Chris more often. She came to my house, which made me feel so much more comfortable. She would see Clark He was such a busy baby at that point. And I would constantly say to her, he's just so active and he doesn't sleep. I just am so exhausted. She would actually... Validate. Validate that he was. Yeah. Which... Means the world, doesn't it? It made me feel so much better. I mean, some people may not... That may not make them feel better, but I thought, oh, my God, someone has seen how I feel and how Clark is, it just made me feel so much at ease. But it wasn't just you, it wasn't you not coping. This was a challenging situation. And Craig was going through everything that he was going through as well. So it was really nice to be able to talk to someone about how I felt about what Craig was going through. Craig and I had such different parenting styles. I was quite blasé about what crate what Clark was like I let him scooter to the end of the road and <laughs> and Clark, Craig would be freaking out about getting hit by a car and I was always like oh he can handle it <laughs> I think that was quite difficult for us so we had to talk talk through how we felt in each other's situations as you were getting better, it was when Craig and his situation started to arise. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think Craig finally felt like he could just take a breath and let go a little bit because I could then support him and how he was feeling. It's quite scary, I think, when someone turns around and says, I don't want to be here anymore, especially when you feel... Like, how am I not giving enough to this person to then turn around and say, I don't want to be here? Which he would have felt, how am I not good enough for her? Mm -hmm. So when I was starting to get better, I didn't recognise what he was going through because I did. I knew that he wasn't himself, but I needed to prioritise myself because I was the full-time carer of Clark. I think I turned around to Craig and I said, you now need to go and see someone. The way that you're feeling is not normal. 
two parents struggling with mental health issues, it's hard. I just felt like I needed to lift my game as to helping myself. I needed to ask for help. I needed to see Chris more often. I needed my mum to come around and just sit with me and not feel so alone. And I could then help Craig because I had filled my cup a little bit more. And I ended up going back to work at eight months because it was going to be something that helped me. I needed that break from Clark. Craig was getting that full time. And I thought that if I went back to work, it would benefit Clark. He would grow as as a child in daycare and build social skills. I could then have a break. Craig got his break and then we could enjoy ourselves as a family. What other things did you do just to, to fill your cup, to the simple things that, that helped in your recovery? I love a good facial. <laughs> <laughs> and just going for coffee with friends and not talk about having a baby. It's a brave choice to then go back down the path of pregnancy and have another child when you've been through this. So you fall pregnant and and, and I don't mean to laugh. Oh, oh no, laugh. <laughs> no. <laughs> You'd bought a two-bedroom apartment, right? Oh, yeah. So you just bought that, you were pregnant, and then you go for your scan and what happens? We went to the same obstetrician that we had with Clark. She put the ultrasound on my stomach and she whipped it away (laughs) so quick. I, for so long, was trying to figure out what Clark's ultrasound looked like when we first had it. Within those moments, she then turned to us and said, so there's two. (laughs) I told her to shut up, (laughs) which to her reply was, oh, I've never been told that before. (laughs) And Craig dropped his phone and put his head in his hands and said no. So to say we were shocked is an understatement. (laughs) There are no words, are there? You can laugh about it now, but at the time your head must have been spinning. Yeah, but it's really funny. I went into, this is fine. We can do this. We have all this support. I know that I can call on everyone. I felt so positive. I kept in contact with my psychologist. I was seeing my psychiatrist, which we decided to keep me on medication, which I think was a good thing. I had to deliver the girls at 31 weeks. We had preemie babies. They went to the NICU and we were there for three and a half weeks. We then went to special care for three and a half weeks. And I was doing really well. I was okay with pumping every three hours. I got so much joy out of giving them those little cuddles and they were so small. I instantly felt like I needed to give them everything that I had. Did you suffer any postnatal anxiety or depression then that second time? Not during that period. Craig really, really struggled. So I was the rock. Unfortunately, the girls, I think, were in their first 15 months. They were admitted to hospital 12 times. Wow. Craig couldn't handle them crying. So I was constantly trying to diffuse situations that we would get into when Craig started getting better and all the health issues had kind of 
settled down, I think the adrenaline went off and I went into a very dark place very quickly. And it was worse than I had it with Clark. I just absolutely hated my life. I would just, during the day at home, just sit there and cry. I just, I felt like everyone was suffering because of me and I contemplated self-harm a lot. Craig was getting better at that point. Yeah. So it became his turn to... Exactly. ...to step into that void. Yeah. So how did you get yourself better second time around? It's still something that I'm working at. I have gone on another medication, which has really helped. It's a lot of taking time, just realising that it is okay to take the time. The girls are better. Clark is has started school. He's, he's okay. Craig is getting better. As things got better, I felt like work was getting better and I started trying to go for walks. And when I was really, really struggling, I remember Chris saying to me, just go outside and scream. Yep. Because I, I call it the noise. I couldn't handle the noise that was in our house. Even Craig cooking and Clark saying mum all the time, the girls crying, the girls always wanting to be held. I just could not handle the noise that was going on in our house. And she said, just put your headphones in, just listen to a song so loud that it you shuts just, everything out. <laughs> exactly. Like she said, go out on the deck and scream. Just let it out or go into the shower. Just take a walk around the block and just breathe. That is something that I've told myself since Clark was born is to just breathe. It will get better. What do you think it's done for your relationship with Craig and knowing that you've both been through this similar experience, very different, but you can understand what each other's been through, can't you? Definitely we can. I think putting kids into any relationship is difficult. And there was a a moment there that Craig and I were just at each other all the time. Which is okay. (laughs) Oh, totally. We have never been fighters. We were just getting to that point where we were just at each other. And we both recognise that, just like we both recognise our mental health. And it felt like after we had spoken about it, the weight had been lifted and we were back together as a team. Even if you have got out of that deep, dark place, you've still got that scarring from what you've been through. It'll always be a part of you. Parenting is hard. It is hard work. And my mum always says, you never, ever stop worrying about your child. And then you become a grandmother and (laughs) you then worry about your kid and your grandkids. You will have ups and downs, but there's nothing that you can't get through. You're bloody strong. Thanks. (laughs) So are you. (laughs) Well done, Beck. Thank you. Thank you. Beck spoke about the pressure of trying to be the perfect mother and how guilty she felt when she couldn't live up to those expectations. It's a common feeling many parents face, but one that can be remedied with the right support. To talk about this further, we have counsellor Katie Peterson from Gidget Foundation Australia here with us. 
Katie, welcome. Thank you. Beck was extraordinary in that while she was pregnant, she could flag that she needed some help and she got the Gidget Foundation to help with her to protect herself, I guess, for, for whatever would come. But then an unsettled baby comes along, not sleeping at night time, breastfeeding's a challenge, and suddenly even the best laid plans can go out the window, can't they? Yeah, they sure can. I think preparing for parenthood, there's only so much you can do. I really do think it's something you you learn on the job. It's really different to being at work because it's a relationship. If you've been successful in your career and you've been successful in other parts of life, when you have a baby, it's really different. It's not a to-do list anymore. It's not a, yep, I ticked that and I did a great job. It's a really moment-by-moment thing because it's a relationship and you're just responding to the baby moment-by-moment in the best way you can as you get to know who you are now, what your family looks like now, and how to be parents. What are some of the other stress factors that you hear from new parents that become a struggle and and, and lead to, to postnatal anxiety and depression? Yeah, there's so many different things that can impact how you will cope and how your adjustment to parenting will be. Guilt is such a huge thing for parents. Almost from like the moment you conceive, you start thinking about what you could have done or what you should have done or how you could do better. Sleep deprivation is the biggest one for mental health in general. We know that perfectionistic traits are often a challenge for some parents. There's social factors as well. Feeling isolated, not having great support or not having great support from your partner can also impact that. There are so many things that can happen that you just cannot think of before it happens. Something that you think would be straightforward as feeding your baby becomes something that takes up all of your time and you're just left feeling exhausted just doing that one thing. Different babies have different temperaments as well. So you really are just getting to know this baby. You know, who is this baby? You might have a really active baby who's really loud and gets distressed really easy, or you might have a really easygoing baby who could sleep through anything. So we have helplines, perinatal helplines available, but the Gidget Foundation has a lot of different ways of connecting with people. We have online Facebook and social media groups. We have therapy groups. We have lots of information on our website and we also do offer individual therapy via telehealth and in person at the Gidget houses. So just remember, early intervention is the best. Prevention is the best. I think if you're really not coping, it's a great time to ask for help, not waiting until it gets to the hardest part of your journey. The most heartbreaking part of Beck's story is talking about how she seemed to think that they would all be better off without her, the family unit. Mm. That's the rock bottom moment, isn't it? And it's not true. The whole family rely on you and they love you and they need you more than anything. Unfortunately, when we feel overwhelmed and we're feeling like we're not coping, it's common to feel like not being here would be a way to escape that. Some women and and dads some experience thoughts of wanting to escape and just not wanting to be a part of the family anymore, maybe not wanting to be a parent anymore. But for some people, when they're feeling so overwhelmed and so distressed, wanting to die is a way of not feeling like that anymore. And I think it's helpful to understand that that's common and maybe not for everyone all the time, but it's definitely an indication that you're not coping and you can't do this on your own anymore and you need support. It's not easy when both of you are sick at the same time though, is it? No. Communication between the two of them will be really different 
the kind of how they can support each other emotionally will look really different. In Beck's story, she kind of shared that when Craig wasn't wasn't coping, she was really having to diffuse a lot of situations in parenting and in the household, and that was kind of falling back on her. But then the moment that she had that downtime, she could actually then feel what she had been through, you know, throughout her pregnancy and in the early postnatal period with her twins. So I really liked the way that you and Beck spoke about filling up your cup. I think in the early days when you're in survival, it can be really hard to see that there is any time to do something to fill up your cup. It's really important to remember that self-care doesn't have to take a long time. It can be something really quick. It can be something that's 5, 10, 15 minutes. It's almost essential because if you're not managing your stress levels, your tolerance won't be there and you'll be reacting to things a lot quicker than if you just had some time out to kind of reset When Beck was talking about the benefits for her and Craig, I really could hear her saying like it created a sense of space. It was something separate from being a mum. You know, she got time to just remember who she was, what maybe when she's not a mum, or just a feeling of not being overstimulated all the time with the noise of being in a house with, with children. And it's not so much what you do, and it doesn't matter how long it is, it's that you're doing it regularly and it becomes a regular practice. Beck spoke about seeking out the Gidget Foundation before Clark was born. How important is that, particularly when you have a history of mental illness? What sort of protection does that offer you? Yeah, early intervention is so important. And there is research showing that getting support in pregnancy will reduce the likelihood of developing perinatal depression and anxiety and can have really long-lasting effects as well, which is great. I think when we hear Beck's story, She knew that there was somewhere to go. She knew that there was someone to turn to. And even though in those early days it was really hard for her to reach out for help, she did have a pathway for accessing help. And and I think that's really protective. And it's really lovely how for the next part of her journey, even though she faced even more challenges, she was able to get extra support during her pregnancy as well and knew what medications to take and had a bit of like a a support team there to support her through that. I guess... People sometimes wrongly assume that because you've been through a mental health challenge, you you have this mental weakness. And for Beck and Craig to have both gone through this, you can see it's so evident in their relationship that they couldn't be stronger because of the power of this shared relationship. And it's proof that mental illness doesn't weaken you. In fact, it makes the family unit so much more powerful because they're together and and they've got through this together. Yeah, I agree. They've both learnt so much about themselves. They've grown so much out of these experiences. They understand themselves a lot better now. They understand what works for them. And they do have that sense of we've done some really tough things together that we can probably take on anything now. But I also think it's important to remember that the most resilient people are the people who have good social supports. And they have each other as a great starting point. And then they have their their wonderful family and friends. They have their professional supports. And with that, they can really thrive as a family and, and hopefully take on any other challenges that will probably pop up. Katie, thank you. This podcast is a listener production made in partnership with Gidget Foundation Australia. Producer is Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens, with audio production from Kelly Falston. Listener.
listener.